Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 479 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. This is Sunday, January 15th, 2023. Happy birthday to Martin Luther King Jr. But more importantly, only for the purposes of this program, happy birthday to our friend Jason Evans, who turns, I don't know, what do you want to be, 45 today? 21. Uh, wow, 45. I, I fondly recall those years. No, I, I'll i be honest about my age. I'm not one of those people who hides it. I am 56 today. And what, what do you do at 56? You you, you sleep till 11. Wow. <laughs> uh, it was glorious. Yeah. I, I, I slept in. I really slept in. Um, my wife made me breakfast. We went out. We had a nice walk with our dog. And tonight we're going out to a very nice dinner. And in between, I'm recording a podcast with you guys. Wow. There you go. Incredible. Uh, Donald Wine uh, does not change age today. He changed age about, what, a month and a half ago. So, mm-hmm. uh, Donald, how are you just spending your your Martin Luther King Day uh, weekend? Yeah, I'm just uh, enjoying it. It's, it's nice nice and crisp outside. So uh, I went to watch some soccer earlier. And now we have to discuss some basketball, which uh, if, you know, if, if everyone watched the game yesterday, you know this is going to be not the funnest of podca- podcasts, but we are going to have fun in honor of Jason. We have to figure out a way to make it fun for Jason. You know what? And- you know what, Donald? I, I I wonder, like, I'd be interested in hearing from you guys, even before we get to, like, what was good, what was bad, headlines and all those stuff. Do you feel negative about that game or positive? Because, like, look, NC State, Wake Forest, I felt negative. I was like, oh, this is – I'm not so sure. I actually saw a lot to like in that game. I think it's both. I- I'm I'm ready to talk about it because uh, I Jason I was honestly wondering the same thing and by the way for this recap uh, we have a little bit of extra perspective today than we usually do because Jason was able to attend yesterday sit in the press box and do some some post game sound so we will have uh, content directly from both John Shire and Brown Brad Brownell from this one because Jason was was uh, in the press conference after the game, and he was able to take in this thing live at Little John. I was originally going to be joining Jason for this game, but then I had yeah. a, a change in plans. I was actually in New York this weekend, uh, so I was at a concert last night while, uh, I guess, in the lead-up to the game. So I, I had to play catch-up later. I took it in. I knew that, as usual, I knew the final score ahead of time. But, Jason, I had the same sort of question that I was going to pose to each of you about how you felt about this. Before we get into that, and before we do our sort of regular cadence, the final score in this one from Little John, Clemson 72, Duke 64. This was basically a back-and-forth affair uh, until there were about five, six minutes left in this game, and then Clemson went on a run to close this thing out to, to make the final score, to make the final margin eight points. I don't know if you guys will disagree with me, but I don't know that this felt like an eight-point Clemson victory. This sort of felt like a, a Not back at all. Uh, backdoor situation for them. So let's talk about it, though. And we need to start with headlines. So, Jason, I'm going to let you go first on headlines. And uh, we'll also sprinkle in a little bit of listener thoughts here as well. Yeah, my headline's pretty simple. Late game dry spell again dooms Duke. Uh, we've seen we've seen this happen to the Blue Devils before. These uh, the, the, they, they become unable to score and it was it's a big problem you can't you can't win if you can't score and that's that was what did in the devils uh because we had we had this game not well in hand but but you felt like duke was going to win up until those final five seven minutes or so donald what'd you have i have duke tries to tame tigers but three-point shooting bites them in the butt Ooh, succinct i think i like i I like i like uh, all of your Uh, all of your submissions here. I was going through uh, the submissions that we got from the listeners. The one that I like is from Jim Baumgartner. There's no water near Death Valley scoring drought fatal for Duke. That's the, that's basically how this game ended. So I'm going to accept that one. The other one that I liked here was from John Wiener shot selection sinks Duke. Uh, Also playing sort of the, exactly. It's probably the the best one. (laughs) The, uh, the the challenges that the Blue Devils had down the stretch. Another game in which Jeremy Roach was absent. So that is something that we certainly need to talk about as the team continues to try to, you know, replace all the things that he does on the court in his absence. So maybe Donald, I want to get your thoughts first 
on your observations of this game, because then I want to be able to get Jason's reactions to that from somebody who was in the arena. Um, but Donald, give me your give me your good from the game, at least to get the conversation going. Well, you have to start with Kyle Filipowski. I mean, 18 points, 14 rebounds, five of them offensive on the offensive end of the glass. He, uh, again, had a really good game You know, coming off of that game against Pitt where he had 28 points and 15 rebounds. He doubled it with another double-double, and I believe he even had that double-double uh, by the by the end of the first half. He was he was active, uh, especially on the offensive glass, and a lot of that was him getting balls and putting them back in and also getting a lot of and-ones where he was able to go to the line and make something happen. D- Donald, I wanted to note, he had 17 points and 14 rebounds at the 10-minute mark of the second half, and I turned to one of the guys sitting next to me on press row, and I said, I said, it is very possible that he's going to have a 2020 here against, uh, you know, a really a, a good Clemson team. I was like, damn, you know, Filipowski's having a heck of a game. He he, he did not have another trouble. rebound. <laughs> he only had one more point the rest of the way. Oh, well. The other guy that I wanted to highlight here, like in addition to Filipowski, because clearly the stat line speaks for itself. Uh, there were stretches in this game where Ryan Young was pretty unstoppable at both ends of the court. And we talked in the preview a lot about how, you know, this was going to be a matchup, like an an interesting matchup of front courts. Ryan Young made a few really great defensive plays and had nifty offense to the point where, like, there are moments where I'm watching Ryan Young play. And I'm like, if Ryan Young could run a little faster and jump a little higher, he would be an actual star in college basketball this year. Unfortunately, he's just like a little too limited. But there was my, I'll, I'll spoil you guys, my favorite play from this game is there was a moment in the second half where Clemson got a, was sort of like on the break. They didn't quite, it was clear they like don't have a great plan when they're on the break, but they were on the break. All the Duke guys are running back. They're sort of on their heels. And I thought, I don't know how Clemson's about to score, but they're about to make a a big basket here. And the play ended with Ryan Young blocking a shot that was like uh, one of the Clemson players sort of driving at the hoop just to, just to stop the scene and force them to reset. And it was an incredible amount of like of discipline and and coordination on Ryan Young's part to be running backwards, but also to be like getting in a good enough defensive position to to block the shot while not committing a foul. And so, you know, I don't know that it shows up in the stat line the same way that it does for Filipowski, but there are so many things that Ryan Young is doing to protect this team from letting things get out of hand because on the defensive side, uh, Duke is sort of not living up to, I, I think, overall, its promise that at least I was expecting early in the season. Jason, I want to come to you on the on the good. And, you know, I, I don't know how much how much good Duke fans can take from the fact that the environment in Little John seemed to be uh, pretty awesome last night for a, for an ACC road tail. Probably a, a, at least a good learning experience for the Blue Devils. But tell me both what you liked about this game and maybe your impressions from uh, maybe one of the ACC's sort of forgotten, but really good venues. Yeah. So, uh, okay. So I'll, I'll diverge from the good and, and talking about the game to, to give you sort of the atmosphere and, and observations from being there. The first thing I want to mention is I got to give a little shout out to Duke Fox, by the way, that's not like a nickname. I think his, his first name actually is Duke, but th- this was hysterical. So at halftime, I I went to the concession stand, get a drink, get a hot dog, get some candy, you know, nourish myself as as uh, as the thing goes. And as I'm walking back toward where the press area is, some guy says, Jason. And I'm like, uh, yes. Hi. You know, like, do I know you? How do you know me? So th- so he goes, hi. he was there with his son. He goes, hey, my name's Duke Fox. He says I'm a huge Duke fan. They're both wearing their Duke T-shirts and stuff. He introduced me to his son. Who seemed a little starry-eyed. <laughs> um, you, love, you love to see that, especially given that our our faces are are irrelevant. Yeah. So what he said, I was like, "How did you know it was me? You know, how'd you pick me out?" He said, "Well, on the last podcast, you and Sam were talking about you know googling yourself and and do you show up on a Google search?" He goes, "I did a Google search and and your face showed up, so I knew who to look for." <laughs> I think so, I think a few years ago on the on the DVR forum, I think you posted all of our LinkedIn photos. And asked I did. Yes, I did. Yes. People could identify who each of us were. Right. <laughs> yes. So, uh, so I guess that's sort of stalking. He kind of, he was prepped 
for where I would be, you know? <laughs> he was he was cool about it and he admitted it. And in his email to us afterwards, I think he acquitted himself well. So I yes, yes. I thought this was I thought this was totally appropriate and normal. Yes, and a great guy. And look, we always talk about the fact we love when when folks who are fans of the podcast find us, hear us, whatever it may be, recognize our voice and say hi. Uh, it, it gives us a great thrill. So I just wanted to shout out Duke Fox. He was a good guy. He and his, By the way, he and his son drove from Bloomington, Indiana to come to this game. Big Duke fans. They drove like, he said, like it was like 18 hours or something absurd like that. Something crazy about how far they'd driven to get to this game. Wow. I, just amazing on their part to be there. I'm sorry that the result wasn't better. A couple other things I wanted to note about about Clemson first of all about the crowd you mentioned this I, I thought the crowd was kind of lame in the first half they were not super energetic uh they they seemed to me to be a reactionary crowd as opposed to a crowd where they try and give the team something that's a huge difference you know a crowd who where there's a big play and they all scream great but the truly elite crowds are the ones who 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 try and create you know, energy for their team. And this crowd wasn't like that. But in the second half, they got louder. And and especially when Clemson, you know, the final 10 minutes or so when Clemson was clawing into the Duke lead and then took their own lead and then eventually pulled away, the crowd was impressive. And, and I've been to games at Clemson before. This was this was a really strong crowd. And after the game, the Clemson coaches and players who, who I spoke to in the press room all talked about how impressed they were with the crowd, how how big a deal it was and how much they uh, appreciated Clemson fans coming out and supporting them. I, I got the impression that they don't usually have this kind of a turnout for a game or this kind of energy. A uh, couple other things I wanted to mention really quickly. One is the Clemson, Clemson press box is terrible. <laughs> it's one of the worst that I've been in. Tiny seats, no leg room, <clears throat> no water, no popcorn, just a little $10 concession voucher. Usually they treat the press a little bit better. We were also in nosebleed seats. They put the press at the very top of the arena, unlike Cameron, where we're right down there on the floor. Jason, you know? Jason, Cameron's the only place where you get that kind of treatment. Yeah. And it's and and it's the opposite of what the broadcasters would say about the experience, because the broadcasters and Cameron are like putting their lives at stake to, to cover <laughs> <Yes>. those games. <laughs> yes, this is definitely true. I, I agree. Uh, but the other thing that sucked was so they had a they had a public Wi-Fi for everyone. And they also had a special press Wi-Fi that you need a password for. You would think that the press Wi-Fi would be really good. The Clemson press Wi-Fi might as well have been a 2005 dial-up modem. It was terrible. No one on press row was, we all dialed into it. We all used a special password. We sat there and watched our computers not load anything. And we went, oh, well, this is useless. So Clemson, you got to gotta improve the press facilities. And then the last thing I wanted to mention, and we are going so far afield from the game. They had a really cool thing that they did during one of the timeouts. They had a thing called debatables that they played up on the big screen. They had two Clemson players and they gave them ridiculous questions that they, you know, they recorded this in the past where they, uh, where, where the Clemson players had to answer these ridiculous questions. And it was actually really funny and relatable. And I think it made the players, you know, connects the players with the, with the audience. Let me give you guys an example of the questions. They asked them, who would win a fight between one 500-pound duck and 501-pound ducks? <laughs> I thought that was a that was a pretty good one. What's your well, answer, Donald? The 500-pound duck. It's 500 Sam? pounds. Uh, no, the 501-pound ducks would definitely win. See? Absolutely See, they had not. a debate. Absolutely not. Yeah. No, no. no, no we're going to have this. This is where we're going to do this after the show because I, I got <laughs> I got research. So what's the what's the weight difference? I'm, I'm trying to think of the fact that like one human can destroy 500 ants, but an ant doesn't weigh one five hundredth of a human. Like, Not even close. No. Like like it's much, much like so it would be like if ants were each like half a pound. If you know, if a human's like 200 pounds, yeah. right. um, it'd be like if each ant was half a pound. Could you defeat? That'd be a pretty damn big ant. Yeah, that's tough. I I, I think I'd go with the ants. Y'all wild. Y'all wild. Get back to the game because y'all wild. Wait, 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 wait. Hold it, hold it. The other debatable. This is a good one. So does a dog have the two front limbs on a dog? Are those legs or arms? Because someone, because one of the Clemson players pointed out, he's like, look, you, you say to a dog, shake. You shake his hand or his paw. You don't shake someone's leg. You shake their arm. 
Uh, I no, it's a leg. That that like it doesn't change like, the, I mean, we, we, it doesn't change the biology of what. Yeah, that I was gonna is. say, aren't there like evolutionary biologists or something who can? Yeah, who can, doesn't Doctor Brian Hare at Duke who uh, studies uh, who studies uh, dog psychology? He probably has a has a smart answer about this. We should get him on the show. Okay. In any event, all this is to say, hat tip to Clemson, because I thought debatables was a really cool segment for their players to to talk about and do their thing. Okay, great. Uh, should we talk about the basketball game again? So <laughs> yes, how about sure. that? No, that's great. I, I I love this, and obviously, uh, we need to know what it's like. I've never, I still haven't been to Little John, so uh, same. I don't, know, I don't know what the situation is there. But so, Jason, just to remind you, because it's been a minute, uh, we talked about Kyle Filipowski and we talked about Ryan Young. Would you like to cover anything else on big men before we sort of turn to talking about the guards to the extent that we have, you know, sort of good to talk about on on those topics, or take it in whatever direction you'd like. I want to talk about big men. I think you were very accurate to have sent me in that direction because I felt that uh, our offensive rebounding was really elite in this game. There were times where our best offense was Kyle Filipowski or Mark Mitchell sort of tossing the ball at the rim and then grabbing their own rebound. They must have done that like at least five or six times during this game. And it was something that Clemson really struggled with in the pregame. We talked about the fact that Clemson is an elite defensive rebounding team. I mean, one of the best defensive rebounding teams in the country. And yet Duke was still able to get 35% of our, of our misses as offensive rebounds. That that's a really good sign for this team. That is something that this team has shown all season long that they are great at. It had started to decline a little bit lately. And the fact that it has come back this week, I think is a really big deal. Offensive rebounds tend to be shots that you hit (laughs) because they tend to be very close. Duke needs help hitting shots. So for us to be getting offensive rebounds like that was a really, really big deal. I also thought Derek Lively continues to progress. I mean, we're talking about big men. Yeah, Kyle Filipowski had a great game, but I, I thought Lively is is getting to the point on defense where he he is really controlling that end of the floor. Um, he He is able to guard anyone. Anyone. I don't care if it's a 5'10 lightning quick point guard. I don't care if it's a a 6'11 seven foot behemoth. He's able to guard anyone on the opposing team. There are there are just very few people in the world, not just in college basketball, in the world of basketball who can do that the way Lively does. Look, he's completely lost on offense. I get that. But for half of the game, he is having a major, major impact. He's got to get better at figuring out how not to foul when he doesn't get a blocked shot. He's got to get better hands on his rebounds. He's got to learn to rebound out of his area. But I'm still I'm seeing progress from him every single game. He's a terror on defense, and I want to point something out. Despite playing only 14 minutes in this game, he led Duke in plus minus. He was plus four. This this only days after that pit game where he had an absurd plus minus. He was like plus 16 playing 12 minutes or something like that. I I don't know what you do with him on offense. But at the moment, Duke is significantly, significantly better on defense when Derek Lively's on the floor. Only a week ago, that was not the case. That has been the case this week. And if that is a, a fact moving forward, that's a big deal for this team. And these are two of the more important games that Duke is – Pittsburgh and, and Clemson are both teams that are in contention for first place. Clemson is currently in first place – in the ACC and and Pittsburgh is fighting for it. So if if he's going to play that well against the best teams in the conference, then the, that's the that's one of the guys you have to lean on. Duke has another tough one coming up in Miami, who's another another good team in the conference. That's coming up in a week, so they get more shots at um, at at sort of demonstrating who's who's kind of top dog here. Donald, anything else on Lively or the big men um, or anything else on the good that you wanted to touch on here? Yeah, I want to shift to the guards because I think Tyrese Proctor had a pretty good game. 17 points, five rebounds. Uh, he shot two, he made two three pointers. And uh, I thought at times he was uh, very, very effective on offense with getting, you know, getting his basket. So I thought that was good. But I also want to shout out the defense. I know we're going to talk about some bad things that happened on all assets of the game, but uh, the combo that I call Chase Hunter Tyson, um, that's Chase Hunter and Hunter Tyson. Um, they only, you know, they're the two leading scorers for Clemson. I think they averaged a combined like 32 points a game or something like that. They, they were held to 12 uh, combined. So I thought they did a really good job at keying in on those two guys and making 
someone else on Clemson beat them. The only problem was someone else on Clemson decided to step up. His name was PJ Hall. Uh, but and and I but I do think keying in on on two of the defensive uh, two of the you know big defensive matchups that you have and you know neutralizing them really makes uh, really makes the team effective and gives you a chance to win because as you mentioned this was a back and forth game and it was because the two guys that Clemson normally relied on were pretty much ineffective uh, at large stretches of the game held by our defense and they had to find another way to win. This is where as a young team we are going to learn. Okay. Once this happens, how do we neutralize the rest of the team so that we can emerge victorious? On the topic of was this a good game or a bad game for Duke, you know, acknowledging that it's a loss, right? This is what we were trying to get to at the beginning. I think a lot of what you just mentioned, Donald, is what tells me that this is still like a promising result for Duke. Lively continues to develop on on defense. As you said, Jason, he's he's still kind of lost on offense. But a lot of other sort of periphery things are are good here. And Jason, I, I'm going to ask you to talk more about this. But just, just on the surface, Duke only turns the ball over 11 times against the Clemson team that we said um, was, was going to be aggressive against Duke, and they're on their home floor. Uh, Duke is able to um, – they're, they're still not great at shooting from outside. We'll get to that in the bad. Um, but not a bad night drawing fouls, um, making sort of the basket they need to make, and a little bit better – I think on offensive execution, there were stretches tonight or last night where Duke was not kind of drawing up offense, but there was more set offensive plays and set offensive movement than I think we've seen in recent weeks. That might be that Tyrese Proctor is getting more comfortable with the point guard position. It might mean that, and and it also is sort of a factor that uh, Duke's rotation seems to be making like having a little bit more logic to it and, 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 uh, and predictability, which, probably is is helpful for John Shire as a planning mechanism even if it's you know like if it's more predictable for the defense then that's frustrating but but if it means that the players sort of know what their roles are and who's kind of subbing in when you can see that they're getting a little bit more comfortable it's taking I think longer than Duke fans are expecting it to because one under coach K there was like already sort of a plan in place and two there are that many more new guys in the program this year you know, with with Roach out, it's pretty much only Jalen Blake's who's who's a returning player, and Jalen Blake's barely played uh, uh, last year. So, Jason, comment on on any of that um, before we sort of wrap up with the good and, and head to the bad, where I think there's a lot more interesting discussion to be had. Yeah, so I'll tell you that I agree with Donald completely that I thought Tyrese Proctor belongs in the good on this game. I know that he struggled, and this whole team struggled in the final five minutes. And, and Sam, you pointed out we had 11 turnovers. I think three of them came in the final five minutes. But that means that we only had eight turnovers through, you know, the first 35 minutes of this game, which is pretty damn impressive. That's that's a good number for this Duke team. And specifically when it comes to Tyrese Proctor, um, he's becoming more and more comfortable running the show. Uh, he had several really nice drives into the lane where he drew the defense to himself and found a teammate for a wide-open shot. Now, let's be clear. We missed every single one of those wide-open shots. We're going to have time to talk about that a little bit later on when we hit the bat. This Duke team is very, 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 very bad at outside shooting. But Tyrese Proctor probably should have had an extra, I don't know, three, four, five assists in this game if we'd hit even a reasonable percentage from the perimeter. I thought our early in the game, and we talked in the preview about how good Clemson is on defense. Clemson came into this game as the number one defensive team in the ACC. Early in this game, Duke looked befuddled on offense, but after about, and Clemson was contesting everything, we were taking bad shots, I thought, and the and there was no ball movement. After about, I don't know, like around the 10, 8, 10 minute mark in the first half, Duke started moving the ball better. I love there were several possessions where we moved it in and out. We went inside and then kicked the ball out. There were even a couple of possessions where we we did that two or three times, looking for just the right shot, looking to make the defense move in a way that gave us the advantage. The ball movement for like the middle 20 minutes of this game was some of the best I've seen from Duke all season long. I mean, th- this Duke team had a, a nice lead in the first half and at times in the second half as well. We were great over the middle 20 minutes of this game. And our shots were falling when we were getting that ball movement. It's when the ball movement stopped, when we tried to do everything one-on-one, 
that's when things clog up for us and when the offense starts to die. That and when we miss wide open three-pointers again and again and again. But my my major point is I, I saw a lot to like in this game. I think we can't shoot much worse from three than we did. And especially in the case of Tyrese Proctor, I feel like this kid is coming along, getting better at running the show. And when we have a Jeremy Roach back, who brings a little more offensive creativity, a little more calm and poise, I think this team could really start to to progress along where we think they should be. And last thing is, games in January, not that they don't matter, but they kind of don't matter. I mean, we're, we're not going to remember this game if this Duke team continues to to progress and play better and better. It's just not it's not going to be a game that matters in the long term. Uh, I would I would rather take your lumps, try and figure things out in January than I would in March. And that's why I think when Sam, when you asked earlier whether this was a good game or a bad game, I said both, because for me, any loss is a bad game. Like, I don't like losing. I, I know you can learn a lot in a loss and I don't like learning that way. I obviously like learning uh, with with wins. But at the same time, I do think, as we've just discussed over the last 20 minutes or so, that there were a lot of positive takeaways. And it's not necessarily about you know the loss part, but it's how you grow from it and how you build from it. And we saw some really good things. Now, we saw some things that definitely need to be worked on uh, over the next week as we prepare for Miami. But there are definitely some ideas where, I mean, again, you know, we had 15 offensive rebounds. We held the, you know, the one of the best three-point shooting teams in the country to like 18% from three. Like we did some good things on offense and on defense. We just need to figure out a way to put it together. So it's a mixed bag. You you take the good with the bad. And that's why we do this in the format that we do it on this podcast. So guys, let's take a quick break. We're going to come back, talk about the bad. And then we do need to wrap up the week for Duke basketball and hand out our player of the week awards. So stick around. We will be right back. We are back and we are talking about the bad from this Duke loss to Clemson. And I think the the first thing that stands out, it's something that we have unfortunately talked about a lot this season and is probably the, the easiest headline from this game is the shooting. Three for 20 is the three-point effort from Duke uh, in, in this game. I know Donald mentioned that Tyrese Proctor hit a couple of threes, but on the night, two for nine. And unfortunately, the rest of the team was was sort of looking very similar, um, clanging basically every every shot they got from beyond the arc. Mark Mitchell had yo, one. Yo, let's let's be clear. If if the rest of the team also went the equivalent, it would have been better, more, right? <laughs> we would have won this game. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Mark Mitchell had had one three pointer that uh, where he was just a foot on the line, so so they had to count it as a two. Uh, that would have also slightly improved the final score and and the three point shooting line. But uh, another game where. Duke doesn't shoot very well from three and Jaden shoot remains chained to the bench. So I want us to very quickly have this conversation because we got it in a couple of emails. Uh, the one that I think put it very succinctly was, uh, was from James Allen that we heard. Uh, he said, it's clear that for whatever, whatever reason, Shire will not play shoot at the moment. Uh, I think most Duke fans, myself included, believe in his ability to make the three at the very least, is it wrong to think in certain situations it's a mistake not to play him, such as end-to-half situations with a final shot late in the game when you desperately need a three? I believe in Coach Shire, but I just don't understand. So let's let's do this topic very quickly. I know we've touched on it a lot, but I want sort of each of your latest and greatest thoughts on the three-point shooting and the fact that John Shire is not playing supposed three-point specialist Jaden Shoot, uh, even at this point, which seems like it could be sort of a borderline dire situation for shooting for Duke. Donald, I'll let you take this one first. So I don't know what needs to happen for our shooting to improve because Jason, like you mentioned in, in the good section, you know, there were times where we had wide open shots and just didn't make them. And yeah, we're, I, not I, we're, we're not taking bad three pointers. We're not taking bad three pointers. We're not taking bad two pointers. We're, we're just not taking bad shots. Or shot selection at times, shot selection and, and actual shot taking, I think, are two separate things. But I do think the shots that we are taking are, are for the most part, pretty good. We're just not making them. And 
that's a confidence issue that you just can't, you know, the, the terms of shooter shoot shooters have to shoot their way out of slumps. And that's just the only way you can do it because every single time you miss, you just get further and further into a funk until you start making shots. We've had this over the years. I mean, the, you know, we had the notable Jack white, uh, you know, stretch where he went basically half the season without shooting a three. And then lo and behold, Sam and I go to a game together and he hits like five in a row. And all of a sudden he, he's back and he's hitting threes the rest of the time. So you have these tent, you have these moments in, in times during each season where people are going to go with slumps. You usually don't do it all together. And I think that's the problem is everybody on the team is having their shooting slump together. And it's, and it's unfortunately lasted for a couple of months now. Um, and I think the, when it comes to the three point shooting, we're a team. And this is, this is what it is in college basketball. Everyone hits threes and that's how you get back into games. That's how you put games away. It's about hitting those threes. Those are, those are momentum shifts. Those are backbreakers for the other team They're you know, for your crowd, they're going to get ant and, and energized into it. So, I don't know what the answer is in on the, on the subject of shoot. It's clear that shoot it's whatever is happening in practice. It may not be that he's terrible in practice or that he's not doing his job, but it's clear that he has not shown John Shire and the coaching staff that he can manage, you know, more than a couple of minutes in a basketball game. And at that point, if you're only going to bring him in for like a minute, then why bring him in? And, And that's where it's the same thing we see with, Guys like, you know, that are at the end of the bench in any season, you know, some guys are going to get in. They're going to have their 10 minutes every single game. And at a certain point, you're like, unless one of these guys is hurt or in foul trouble, there's no reason to bring this guy in for just one minute. So um, I don't know what has to change for Jade shoot to see the floor more. Um, And again, we've only seen him in spot stretches this year. So it's unclear to me, even if we did, if we gave him 15 minutes on Saturday, what would he do with it? That would be the biggest question is I don't know um, what he would do with 15 minutes of basketball. It's not that he's guaranteed to come in and shoot nine for 10 from three. And all of a sudden people go, our, our ills are cured. He could come in and he could just as well be a part of the shooting slump, just like the rest of the team is right now. But to send it to Jason real quick, Jason, the question from the listener is he doesn't have, Jaden shoot doesn't have to take 10 threes a game. The question is why isn't he even taking two threes a game? Well, and and more to the point, and I said this a couple of weeks ago on our podcast, I think that having Jaden shoot in the game would create more spacing for guys to take the ball to the hole and do other things. The The opposition is not uh, unaware of who Jaden shoot is or his reputation or the fact that he's already hit threes at a pretty good pace on this season. If he comes in the game, they're going to be like, wait, we need to pay a little bit of attention to that dude. We cannot let him sit all alone on the perimeter. The bottom line is, you know, as Donald alluded to, we don't know. We're not in practice. The practices are not open. They're not, you know, they don't give us access to it. So we don't know. I'll I'll tell you that I I regret not asking John Shire in the postgame press conference. We're going to, in a minute, we're going to get to some of the postgame sound that that I recorded and some of the questions that I asked of John Shire and Brad Brownell. Uh, and I didn't get to ask like multiple questions. That's not the way these press conferences work. You get, you get, you get one and then you're done. You, you might get I, I, one. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. Right. Not everyone does get one. Uh, and I, I knew what I wanted to ask. And uh, like I said, we'll get to it. I, I, I somewhat regret not asking about Jaden shoot, but I think we know John Shire would not have given us, he would have said, yeah, hey, Jaden's working really hard in practice and we're hoping to find a role for him, blah, blah, blah. And, and, you know, give us some coach speak. I don't blame him for saying that there. I don't know what else he could say. He's not going to go, Oh yeah. Oh wait, I completely forgot Jaden shoots on the bench. What, what am I thinking? Oh, you know, that's, that's not going to happen. We're not in practice. We don't know how he's performing in practice. I can't imagine that he's torching the team in practice and then Shire's, holding him out. John Shire wants to win as much as anybody else does. And if Jaden shoot would help the team to win, I have to think John Shire would, would be playing him. I don't know what it's going to take. I, I, I would love to see it because, because I just want to see this team exploit all its options. And currently we are so woefully bad from three that, that it is hurting our ability to win. And maybe Jaden shoot can't play defense the way Shire wants him to. But if he can fill it up from three a little bit, if he can hit 40% from three, maybe it's worth finding three to five minutes in each half for him and and having Duke play zone during those three to five minutes. 
it's I'm it's, also willing to believe, Jason, that it is partially a Jaden shoot thing and partially a rest of the guys thing because you know we look at the stats. The only stats that we get are the ones that happen in game. And yes, by the end of the season, there's enough of a sample size that you can say Kyle Filipowski had a great season or Tyrese Proctor underperformed. In a given game or even in a given like chunk of games during the season, there aren't that many minutes or that many shots that happen. Like the, Luke Kennard basically went a whole year not being a good shooter. And we were like, yeah. oh, maybe Luke Kennard's like not really a scorer. And then came back his second year and, and was a great scorer for Duke and then left for the NBA. The college basketball season, even at its full length, is still a relatively small sample. And the amount of practice time that these guys get, especially the ones who are healthy, which we, we have no reason to believe that shoot hasn't been healthy, the amount of practice time they get is far greater than the amount of, of court time that there is. So Shire's got a much bigger sample of not just Jaden Shute's production, but Tyrese Proctor's production, Derek Lively's production. And if some of that's not translating to the games, that's the part where Shire has to decide, all right, how much are we sticking with this versus me going against what I'm seeing in practice? So maybe, maybe Jason, the, the answer here is that when uh, Duke plays uh, at Georgia Tech, I think Duke plays, I think Duke plays at Georgia Tech. Duke plays Georgia Tech in a couple of weeks, but if they're playing mm -hmm. at Georgia Tech, uh, then this has to be your question to John Shire if it's, if it's still going on. <laughs> hey, um, maybe by then Jaden Shute is is averaging 10 minutes a game and, and nine points because he's hitting three threes a game. We have no idea, right? Like and, it, and, anything can change in college basketball in the blink of an eye because so much happens that we don't see. And again, we have this week off where Jeremy Roach may come back and, and he may be ready to go. But also things can happen. You know, we've, we've seen where all of a sudden, again, we had – right before the Wake Forest game, we had 11 days off. And then we show up in the day of the game. We go, oh, by the way, we don't have Tariq Whitehead and Derek Lively. So we like, obviously the team may not was ready for that change, but we weren't as fans. So I think people have to realize that whatever's going on, we may not find out until that game, but we also can't just take what we know right now and say that the rest of the season is guaranteed to go that way because things can change. And if there's one sort of tactical question that, John Shire wants to chop it up with Coach K about. Don't you think it's shooting and guard rotation? Like, isn't that a, a thing that both of them are probably, sure. you know, have have like great depth of opinion on? You know, they're 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 both like they're both like uh, physically limited guards who uh, who <laughs> most of their of the you know John Shire was a much better college player than Coach K was, but John Shire knows all about uh, coming in as a great shooter and then developing all the other skills. I'm sure he has. He is looking at Jaden Shute and thinking about all the ways in which he can develop him best, not just to make a few more threes for this team, but to keep him around in a Duke uniform and and have him be successful in years two, three, four, and maybe five. And and I absolutely believe that in practice, Kyle Filipowski and Jacob Grandison and Tyrese Proctor and Derek Whitehead and all these guys who are struggling with three-pointers, I think they're hitting them at a much higher pace in practice. And Shire's like, it's going to come around. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Look, this Duke team had hit. We hit 38% of our threes in the first half. And, you know, it didn't seem like it was outrageous. And there was no way we were going to duplicate that over the second half. We, we went over 12 in the second half. But it, it it would not have been incredibly impossible to imagine that this team, instead of going over 12, went three for 12 or four for 12. And if they had, they would have won that game. Jason, can we tee up... Uh the question that you asked to John Shire in the post game, because yeah. I want to talk a little bit about his answer here about sort of what the team is working on. So can you give us just the quick background and then we'll play that? Yeah. So uh, we don't need a lot of setup here. The piece of sound you're going to hear is me asking John Shire about the next week. Uh, we've spoken on this podcast extensively about the fact that Duke hasn't had a ton of practice time. That The season has come at them very fast. They've got a week off here before their next game next weekend. And so I asked Coach Shire, you know, hey, what what is the one thing? What are you going to work on more than anything else? Surprisingly, he did not say uh, three-point shooting, <laughs> which I, I think he could have. And then in addition to, to my answer, there were two other two other questions that were asked about Jeremy Roach and, and about Derek Lively and Ryan Young that I thought were really interesting, asked by other reporters in the room who were sitting next to me. So you're going to hear all that right now. Let's Let's go ahead and play it. Coach, you've got a week off before Miami. What's the one thing you're going to focus on the most in practice? Well, just, you know, building on who we are as a team. And we've had, 
you know, we'll see what Jeremy's status is first and foremost and, uh, you know, get our guys refreshed. And it's been a grind here for us. And so getting a chance to evaluate who we have and health and all that stuff. But clearly learning from you know, our offense down the stretch, that's something I want to build on for us. You know, I thought we had, you know, we have to play to our strengths. We're, we're an inside-out team. I don't think that's any secret. You know, we were three of 20 ourselves. Uh, but just learning how to play together and execute down the stretch. And then, of course, on our defense, taking away the paint. So after Coach, watching the film, I may have some more for you. But off the top of my head, that's, that's it. Coach, how do you decide on the trade-off between Lively and Young, especially when you have a guy like P.J. Hall who is having the success that he was when Young was on the floor tonight? Well, you know, both Derek and Ryan, I mean, have been really good for us. They're a two-headed monster for us. You know, really, they, they have different strengths, and, you know, both guys step up. It's a matter of just the feel in the game. But both guys thought did some really good things tonight, and, of course, there are things to build on. But uh, I'll tell you what, I think Derek's coming on. I do. I think his best basketball is going to be the rest of the season. Uh, he's close. You know, he did some really good things tonight. Ryan has been, you know, really solid. He's made some big-time winning plays. So we need both those guys to have a huge role going forward. John, in, in terms of Jeremy, I saw him come off the bench a lot. I know he's not playing, but how have you sort of tasked him to stay involved uh, while he's out? And, and it seems like he's helped the guards a lot, particularly Tyrese. Yeah, just to be engaged. And he's done a great job of, you know, talking to our guys and, you know, talking during games and really, I mean, it's like he's playing except, you know, of course he's not. But that's how that's how his attitude has been and he's been great in that regard. But now we want to get him healthy and figure out uh, a timetable for that. You know, given Jeremy's experience in high-pressure games in March last year, experience with the program, do you think you missed that little bit of leadership and experience when the game got close and really tested today? Yeah, I mean, look, of course we did. And that's, you know, it's... That's where I'm proud of our guys for coming to play and fighting, and you know I felt we were in control for most of the game. But you know it's it's a new experience, and uh, that's no excuse. Not happy that we were close. Not happy that we played well for 30 minutes. It's it's not good enough for us. And so you know Jeremy, of course, when he's back, he'll give us that added you know poise and experience down the stretch. But felt like the the group we had, we were capable of doing it tonight. So disappointed. And, uh, you know, this group has to learn. All right, Jason, give me your give me your reaction to Shire's comments here about what the team is working on and and, and the status of some of those other guys on the bench. Well, look, I, I whatever he says the team is working on, as I said in the setup, I think the fact that they have a week and I don't know how many days they're going to practice, they'll probably, you know, the team's probably going to take a little bit of time off. Uh, you know, certainly Sunday, they, uh, my bet is they won't be practicing today, Sunday, but having even three, maybe four days in a row where they can do nothing but practice and perhaps practice harder than they have lately. Cause they don't have to worry about sort of being worn down ahead of a game Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I think could really pay dividends for this team, whatever it is they work on. Uh, I think that offense probably is most of the focus, but whatever it is they work on, I think it's a really big deal for this club. And I love the fact that Shire talked about, he can tell that Derek Lively is about to explode. I, I feel I feel like I can too. I mean, like I mentioned Derek Lively in the good and some people may have been like, really? I, I'm telling you, you know, I, there's a reason that guy is so highly touted. There's a reason everyone says, we don't care how bad he's playing. The NBA is going to take him and give him a guaranteed first round contract. I think Derek Lively is... He's already elite at one end. I think we're going to start to see him. And I think this next week could be the week where it, where it really begins. Do you feel, Jason, like, like it's right now Derek Lively's averaging, you know, three, four rebounds a game, four-ish points a game. He's only getting like one and a half blocks, which, you know, you're averaging one and a half blocks in college. You're doing a great job. But coming into in very season, limited minutes. Yeah, we were like, oh, Derek Lively will have a couple of 10-5-5 games because he'll have because he'll have five blocks in the game, and that certainly hasn't happened yet. You think that, like, that is actually going to turn around as quickly as, you know, he starts seeing the floor like he's in the Matrix, and all of a sudden he's just going to be covering ground and making shots? I Like, I, I'm I'm not saying that's impossible, but but you think that it could happen as quickly as in, you know, a game or two from him averaging, like, four and four to him averaging, like, ten and eight? 
I don't know about the rebounding because I've been very concerned. I, I think he does a poor job of rebounding out of his area. And I think his hands aren't great yet. I, I, I see balls that he, he puts one hand on and doesn't get. And I think given the size of his hands and given his reach, uh, he's going to reach a point where at some point in his career, where he will be grabbing those kind of balls. But you only have to go back two years. Mark Williams did this same thing. Mark Williams came almost out of nowhere. It was right around the time that Jalen Johnson quit on the team and left the team. And suddenly we're like, Oh, let's see what Mark Williams can do. And it, it came out of nowhere. And remember in the ACC tournament that Mark Williams was an absolute beast, was best player on the floor for both teams when Duke played Louisville in that ACC tournament game. I I don't know that we're going to see quite that from Lively, but I'll, I'll go ahead and say it right now. Here we are. It's January 15th. By the time we hit the beginning of February, Derek Lively will have had a four-block game and he will have had a double-figure scoring game. Donald, what'd you think about uh, Sean Shire's comments? You know, I, I think listening to him, and, and again, we have a week off, and we have what most people would say is just kind of weird, but for us, we are actually appreciating the fact that we are going to have more practice time. We're going to have opportunities for guys to, you know, figure out what's going on and and for them to kind of, again, get back to basics, fundamentals, all the cliches you want to do, but they have a chance to kind of continue to gel together as a team and get some of these things in order. Um, you know, hopefully you get Jeremy Roach back. Hopefully again, one of these guys, like you said, maybe Derek Lively finds a way to emerge in practice and say, okay, I need to be the alpha, right? Who we've talked about who's going to be the alpha, who is going to you know step up and lead this team. And I think also the physicality, um, these guys have talked about it. They've talked about the scoring droughts and, you know, their post game pressers and their pregame pressers. They've talked about this a lot. Now they get to work on what they need to do to get out of these slumps. Uh, so I, I, I don't mind John Shire's comments. And I think that he, uh, clearly knows, or at least has an idea of where to go from here. Uh, and it's just a question of how long it will take for this team to follow. All right, Jason, wrap up the, the discussion here. And then I want to move to uh, our players, of the uh, our plays of the game and our players of the week. Yeah. So really quick, just wrapping up some stuff in the bad. I think it is worth noting uh, that down the stretch, Clemson's experience showed and Duke's youth and inexperience showed in a very, very big way. It was, it was really frustrating to watch, you know, the way we forced some things and the way it looked like we panicked. I don't know if they actually did panic. The guys may tell you that they didn't, but it sure looked like Duke was panicking a little bit down the stretch in those final five minutes. Um, by the way, if you if you went to Vegas and you had Ian Shefflin out playing Kyle Filipowski in the final five minutes of this game, please take your 30-1 to 1 or 50-1 to 1 ticket or whatever it was to the payout, payout window. It was absolutely shocking to me that Ian Shefflin, a guy who averages like five points per game, just was completely outplaying Kyle Filipowski in the final three minutes of this contest. It was, I just can't even believe that. But the last thing I wanted to mention was this. And I want to be clear as I set this up that I'm not criticizing John Shire, but I did want to note something. This is noting something about him. There, there's been a lot of talk about, oh, does, does John Shire have fire? Does John, you know, is John Shire too nice perhaps? And I think that some of that, those questions to me are, uh, presuming a negative about him, presuming that the fact that maybe he isn't someone that gets super fired up is bad, presuming the fact that he's too nice is bad. I'm not judging that yet, but I did want to note that I paid real careful attention to John Shire in every single timeout, every single time, um, you know, the rest of you were watching a commercial. I was watching John Shire. I had a pair of binoculars. Uh, the, you know, the damn press seats were way up there, but I could see John Shire pretty clearly. He's not so, he, he is calm. He is even tempered. He is composed. He's not someone who got hot with the team. And I don't know if that's a good or a bad. Uh, Coach K had fire. In a game like this, I think you would have seen Coach K throw a clipboard at least once. And John Shire doesn't even come close to doing that kind of thing. And in the post-game press conference, P.J. Hall of Clemson, who had an amazing game, 
pointed out at one point, he talked about how badly Brad Brownell wants to win. And he said he would literally kill someone for a victory. And I went, literally, I think you, I think you mean figuratively. He wouldn't literally like would Brad Brownell would not commit murder to, to, to win a game. It's okay, PJ. But any, in any event, uh, the Clemson players talked about how passionate their coach is and how badly they wanted this victory. I don't know that John Shire demonstrates that when he's on the sidelines. Again, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sit here and judge him on it too much, but it's something worth noting that he is he at this point does not appear to be a guy who gets really fiery. Now, I will warn you, Jason, that that could be presumptuous in this sense. Little Wayne once said this: "Real G's move in silence like lasagna." Sometimes the best guys who the most fiery guys aren't demonstrative about it. If you remember, even coach K, what did most coaches tell you about coach K? It wasn't that he was fiery on the sidelines that he was getting the crowd hype. No, it was the fact that whenever a referee was coming down, he was standing in front of him. He figured out a way to put his mouth hand over his mouth and still be able to really communicate his displeasure with what the ref was doing out of the public eye. He was able to make those things known. And again, I'll also say there's many, many people who will say that some of the you know key figures in their life never got mad at them. When they knew they were upset was when they became silent and when they were just kind of give them a look to let them know that, hey, I'm in trouble. Parents used to do that all the time. You know, my aunts used to, I mean, yes, they would yell at you, but sometimes they would just be like, hmm, okay. And you knew that they were upset and you knew that you had let them down. But I'm not angry and disappointed speech that a lot of people like to give. So I think I say all that to say that John Shire made fire is not necessarily always demonstrative. And I think people need to kind of get that out of their mind because they're so used to so many people, not just, you know, for, you know, coach K and past two coaches, but other coaches in college basketball being so demonstrative on the, on the sidelines. And that's the definition of fire. I mean, some of the best coaches in the world have, not never had to raise their voice and they've been able to get the job done. So I, I, I just say that Jason, I know you were not presumptuous in that you were noting something, but I also want fans who are taking that to the next level to really hold back and make sure that they know that John Shire is one of the most competitive guys out there. We have seen this firsthand from time. And, and, and as a coach, he is, he has not lost that. So let's keep that in mind. I am going to make one comparison that, uh, I think too many people have made for the wrong reasons, mostly because these two guys kind of look alike. But when Brad Stevens was coaching in college, you never saw him raise his voice, throw anything or or demonstrate uh, any kind of serious emotion, even though he made it to two back to back national championship games and was in, you know, with it was within a few hairs of of pulling off one of the biggest upsets in college basketball history before leaving for the NBA, being a successful coach, and then transitioning to a front office. I don't know that John Shire is Brad Stevens. Uh, the fact that they kind of look alike is is irrelevant here, but there is an, at least a recent example of a guy having a very even-tempered demeanor on the sideline. So I don't think you have to be Coach K to be successful. Then again, some of the most successful recent coaches have all been fiery guys, maybe with the exception of Tony Bennett. Uh, he's probably another like good example of like guy on the sideline who just, uh, you know, Jay Wright was sort of like this. So you either have to be skinny or really good looking, I guess, to, to, to pull this <laughs> sort of thing off. Uh, and then one other thing I wanted to bring up was an email that we got from our old friend, Jamie Campbell, uh, of course, former uh, sponsor of the Duke basketball report. Before we, uh, before we institutionalized, if you will, uh, we got a great email from him this week. So uh, he, he pondered this same question, Jason, is John Shire too nice? He, and, and he's sort of referencing the fact that, that Duke fans are asking this. This was a conversation that was going on on the DVR forum. Is John Shire too nice? Seriously. Duke fans don't know this guy. Give him a chance to succeed. The fact that he exhibits nothing but class and discipline on the sidelines is a good thing. And then let me pause real quick from Jamie's email to remind uh, folks that uh, Jamie Campbell is one of uh, a, a number of people who regularly participates in the um, in the Coach K camp that they do over the summer, where you can pay to go, you know, play with uh, as like a a player with all the former players coaching. So this is what Jamie says: I know John. When I tore my calf at K Academy, I actually coached with Coach K uh, or coached with him at the Coach K, K Academy for five days. And here's what I know personally. 
John is brilliant, compassionate, understands the X's and O's, has the ability to adapt, work himself to death, work himself to death, great attention to detail, blah, blah, blah. He continues to heap on the praise for, for John Shire. Uh, and he says he's the nicest of guys. I forgot one thing. As anyone who knows John will tell you, John is the fiercest, most ferocious competitor on planet Earth in everything. Ping pong, horse, cards, running sprints, everything. I have genuinely never seen anyone take losing so hard. It is part of his DNA. Maybe Johnny Dawkins is more competitive, but then again, maybe not. And if the Duke fan base is compelled to criticize John, then fair enough, criticize away. But I res would respectfully ask that they pick something other than being, quote, too nice. Rant over. Go Duke. So, Again, these are not my well words. said. These are Jamie Campbell's words, and uh, we've know, heard. Hey, we've heard stories. We've heard stories about uh, John Shire and Nolan Smith, and the and the 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 post practice scrimmage, mm -hmm. not so, scrimmages, but you know, one on one pickup stuff games. Like that. Yeah. There's, a, there, yeah. there's a psycho in there. He just doesn't. He just doesn't show <laughs> us. So look, I'm I'm as fascinated by this whole thing as you two guys are, but we are running out of time. So we need to pick our plays of the game. We need to pick our players of the week. And Jason, I think, needs to go out to dinner for his birthday. So let's do our plays of the game. Jason, you were in attendance. Tell us your play of the game from, from this loss to Clemson. So I'm going to take both ends of the floor. With about three minutes left in the first half, Derek Lively blocked P.J. Hall in the post. I think that I think Lively did not actually elevate to do it at all. He just stuck his hand straight up and blocked P.J. Hall. And then Duke came down to the other end and promptly threw a lob to Derek Lively that he dunked in the basket. Um, it was Lively demonstrating at both ends of the floor that he can be impactful, and uh, that was my play of the game. Donald, I, what you got? I, I'm just going to make it easy. That was also my play of the game. It was it was a very, very cool display by Derek Lively on both ends of the, of the court. I, I loved that play. I told you I was going with the Ryan Young block in the, in the transition. It doesn't have an offensive component to it, but I love the way he stayed composed, and I hope that that Duke is able, like like we were saying, I think this whole episode, I hope that Duke is able to take a few really good things from this game and apply them to the rest of the 40 minutes to uh, to come up with, with, with a good outcome the next time out. I'll tell you this, if we had hit any one of the half a dozen three-pointers that Tyrese Proctor created by penetrating into the lane and then kicking it out, that would have been my play of the game, but we didn't hit any of them. But again, I thought Proctor... He did not, man, that, that dude should have had at least four more assists. All right, guys, we need to do our players of the week. So obviously a one-in-one -one week for Duke, a great win against Pittsburgh and, a, and an annoying loss to Clemson, although not a back-breaking one. So uh, Jason, you're going to go first. Tell me why, for any reason, you're not taking Kyle Filipowski and his monstrous stat line this week. I am taking Kyle Filipowski and his monstrous stat line. It's not even a, It's not even a close call. It really isn't. He was dominant. And I'll tell you, the most interesting stat to me in this game against Clemson, his usage rate was 37%. That's just a huge number. If you don't understand possession usage rate, folks, it's, you know, how often does the possession end with you taking a shot, whether you make it or miss it, or committing a turnover, whatever else it may be? How often are you the guy who sort of determines how possession turns out? Kyle Filipowski has clearly decided he is he's the guy for Duke this year. We've talked about the fact, oh, we don't have Apollo. Oh, we don't have a Zion. Uh, I think Kyle Filipowski wants to kind of be that, especially with Jeremy Roach out. And and I I thought he was mostly very successful at it this week. Donald, who do you have? I also have Flip. Uh, his stat line was ferocious. And I, I think the only person who probably came close was Tyrese Proctor for having you know, solid games and solid performances in both games. But Kyle was on another planet this week. The, Jason, I think to your point, I'm seeing Filipowski now be more aggressive, not not just like aggressive in the play, like he's going at the basket more and he's he's trying to find new and interesting ways to score. But if he does, no, get, he's got to stop lowering his shoulder. He's got to stop. Does, lowering yes, his shoulder. of course. I mean, he, has, he has stuff to oh. work on, but uh after that, like if he gets fouled or or if the play stops and the camera zooms in on him, you can see sort of to the point about about demonstrating the fire. You can see that he is getting fired up to to make these plays, and you can tell also that he is working on these things in practice. Like I bet he's going to stop lowering his shoulder when he goes into guys sometime in the next few weeks because he's learned how to make a few other post moves even in the like short stretch of this season. 
just ever since he you know went on the press conference and said hey the ACC is way more physical than I thought it would be and I need to be prepared for that he he has had 46 points and 29 rebounds in two games so he's learning yeah so yeah I'm, I'm not wow. I'm not worried about the uh, about the stat lines for him so all right looking ahead we're gonna wrap there but looking ahead Duke's next game is next Saturday. They're back at home against Miami, another pretty good ACC team that, that Duke has to be ready for. So we are not going to preview Miami yet. We will be back in your feeds uh, sometime in the next couple of days to uh, talk about a sort of new way that we're going to be approaching uh, our, our week-to-week episodes on the DBR podcast. I will say now that it is going to be uh, more and and more directed and timely content we think so what we are going to ask of the listeners is stay tuned the next episode coming out is going to explain this in more detail and we love your continued feedback about everything that we're doing here so whether it's this episode or uh our our sort of new way of working uh stay in touch with us dbrpodcast at gmail.com we'd love to hear from you so for donald wine and for the birthday boy jason evans happy birthday jason uh, this has been episode 479 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Duke Bay, take us home.